It's time for brunch. This is episode number 23, and we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about all the great COVID news, including some updates on the Delta variant. We're also going to talk about the booster shot in Israel, healthcare workers being required to get their vaccines, and a dating app for the unvaccinated and how they were kicked off of both Apple and Instagram. We're also going to talk about Facebook being a metaverse company and what that means, Google's creation of a time crystal, and does this new discovery by Google change who they are in the tech landscape? And we're going to wrap things up with talking about the $85 million Zoom settlement. All this and more coming up on the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch, a weekly news show where we ask the big questions on the week's tech, science, and medicine. I am your uh, host, Matt, and I'm also joined by my co-host, the one, the only, Dr. Marty. Dr. Marty, how has your week been? Hey, Matt. My week has been pretty good. I was, sometimes I become Sophia from the Golden Girls. Uh, and so that was a week where I was Sophia from the Golden Girls. Uh, I was really busy. And when I get sleep deprived to a certain extent, and I feel that people are pulling things that normally I have patience for, but just today I don't, then the claws come out and I get kind of vicious. So I was on a committee meeting, a committee that I had done quite a bit of work for. And in fact, I'd done more work than anybody else for, except they took my work and then made a spreadsheet out of it, which pisses me off in the first place. And then as this person was taking the stuff I had done and running with a completely terrible direction, I said, and this person's friendly with it. I get along with them fine normally, but I saw this was going in the wrong direction. Like, so what's the mission of what we're trying to do in meeting number two here? And... They made some comment about how this is a place for everybody to get their thoughts out. And it was actually a job search. I said, it seems to me that if we're going to have a tiered uh, process here between the different levels of job search, why don't we devote a type of question to, to each one such that we're learning more information and not something that was in the back of our mind we thought was worth sharing so that we can have a standardized process. of. So then you know what happens. That's when the search committee head says to you, well, it sounds like you have some good ideas. Maybe you should write the questions for everybody. And you know that kind of passive-aggressive oh. BS that happens in the office. You know what this is. So You speak up so you're voluntold. You're voluntold. And I just looked at him and said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> There's awkward silence. I'm like, I don't have any bandwidth for that. I'm happy to help out, but that's abusive. And it's just like everybody is silent. <laughs> you said that's abusive? Yeah. What... So what was the reaction? There was just silence, like, okay. Like, I, I told you, I get really, ah, when I feel like I'm sleep-deprived and nasty. And so I was sleep-deprived and nasty, and that's what happens. I, I always feel like I warn people. I tell them not to mess with me when I'm like that. <laughs> it was your fault. You should have known. Uh, I, I see, 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 when I get that way, I turn into Julia Sugarbaker from Designing Women. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, she's she. Yeah, she, she. She was one of my favorites when when she had gone on Julia rant. <laughs> oh, the, the night the lights went out in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, she I, was epic. I, in my head, sometimes I still say to myself, and so you know, and that your children will one day know, <laughs> as I'm rehearsing what I want to tell someone off. <laughs> I I also liked Murphy Brown because I because I watched that as a kid, and she she would have some epic rants on that one too. I watched those with my mom and those ladies all spoke to me because they were so they they were so articulate and eloquent at putting people in their place and yeah. the way that they structured every episode, that's how the vignette ended. So like once you told someone off, it literally was the mic drop. Everything went to black, you know, there was an audience applauding and then something new happened next week. You never that was a done deal. 
And I think that gave me a false sense of closure after I told someone off also, because I was like, okay, episode ended. Now I can pretend like none of that happened and I can move on with my life. But I just said something that was really problematic and caused a whole bunch of, you know, uh, discord in, in the group. So it doesn't quite work that well. Anyway, I love getting it off my chest. I, I love when the claws come out. It's such a release. But then I feel guilty about it afterward. How was your week? Uh, you know, it's been good. Um, I, I do want to sort of get a poll. And, uh, you know, audience, you are certainly welcome to write us or to share your opinions. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of been the season of, of barbecues, right? Like I have friends that are having barbecues and company barbecues and everything else. I So I wanted to ask you, when you go to a barbecue, like, I always felt like you need to have tongs for everything. Like, buns there should be a tong to grab a bun there should be tongs to grab your meat there should be spoons in the salad yada 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 i've just seen this trend which i was predicting because of covid that people were going to be extra sensitive to making sure things were utensils cleanliness with food all this kind of stuff and like these last couple of barbecues i've been to it's like people are just handling stuff and they're just like cool with it like there isn't any extra caution or anything else like that so i'm thinking my brain like this is a big group of people. We got Delta, you know, here. But then also, like, just generally, I'm like, I think everything should have a tong with it. Like, even chips. But it's like, people are just sticking their hand in a big bowl of chips. <laughs> Not okay. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, cookies. They're just grabbing it with their hands. They're grabbing the meat with their hands. I mean, I, I, I was I was beside myself with this trend. I'm upset for you. Uh, if you'd like Sophia to come out and tell those people off, I'm on it. I'm totally I- on it. Yeah, I, I had my portable hand sanitizer with me because I was just like, ooh, yeah, I don't. Did he I don't. spray it all over the hamburgers and and the buns and everything? <laughs> it just it'll dry quickly enough. Well, well, what ends up happening to me is is I just don't eat any of that stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, I was, yeah, yeah. It's just it, unless it has a utensil with it, I just don't want it. I don't want to touch it. And and everyone was totally fine. So I was like, I was like, maybe it's just me being neurotic uh, because I because I literally have a set of thirty tongs in my basement. So whenever we entertain, <laughs> like chips have tongs, like but. But I don't even want to grab a cookie, like like right. doing the little pinky, you know, you know, grab the cookie. I don't want to do that. So so I don't know. I, I'm just curious what the, in your barbecue experience has been. I, I don't like that at all. But again, this is one of the reasons why we get along. We're, we both err on the side of, of neurotic. So, you know, especially in a time like this, we also have the Delta, the Delta strain going full, full speed ahead. Uh, we've been having... I think our latest count was about 3,000, but it's more likely we have like 3,500 cases a day. What's nice about LA County or California is that the increase has been, um, it's still increasing, but not at an increasing rate. So it's increasing at a decreasing rate. So maybe this will level off for a while is my hope. And and not that this is a good number because in LA County to have 3,500 cases a day is quite a bit, but there are places where it's really bad. Um, if you watch a lot of the new shows and they show you the, the maps of vaccinated versus unvaccinated states, it is the unvaccinated states that are getting hit much harder, in part because you shed a lot less virus when you're vaccinated. Uh, so it doesn't mean people aren't getting sick, side note, who are vaccinated. So there was a, a gathering in Provincetown uh, out east that had about 400 people get sick. And I think something like 80% of them had been vaccinated. Uh, granted, 
the the yeah go ahead and, and would this be so when we say super spreader is yeah is this what we that's a call super, super spreader. spreader okay okay yep that's absolutely a super spreader event so most of the people who got who got sick were were vaccinated and most of the people who were ill also had symptoms so the 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 way of understanding this is you're not immune from getting it when you have the vaccine, this is something we've talked about before. You're you're protected against severe disease, so nobody died. And out of the 400, maybe like, you know, a, a handful had to be hospitalized, and they all had something going on with it that that had complicated the, the disease. So, I mean, that's really what it, it's like getting a flu when you've been vaccinated versus when you're not vaccinated, especially the Delta variant. It's nastier. So I think we spoke about this last week. It's a thousand times more viruses shed because this one really stuck with me um, is a thousand times more viruses shed. So there's also a discrepancy with the idea of of vaccine as, as a binary or how far away from peak antibody count while being vaccinated. So one thing that they're they're finding is that those neutralizing antibody levels start to wane after six months. And recent studies have suggested that people with higher antibody titers of neutralizing antibody in their blood are less likely to contract COVID than people with lower neutralizing antibody titers in their blood. And this is just a correlation still, it's not causative. But that does suggest, and this is something that people have been theorizing for a while, is that maybe we need a boost in our neutralizing antibody titers, especially in these in these variants that are good at evading the immune response, because it might be more important to just have more soldiers in the war here, um, that it is making a case for a booster vaccine. And so we can see that there are some areas, not in the United States, but outside of the United States, where they are now talking about uh, there's going to be a booster. Uh, and I don't know if the United States is going to uh, also decide to, to join in on that. But it's looking like there's uh, some evidence to support that it might not be a bad idea. Granted, it's a complicated thing, and I'm not going to throw my, my hat in on either side yet. I don't know the, the best, the, the, uh, and, and I think more evidence is going to need to come out before we actually make a clear distinction on it. But there is some interest there. So anyway, that's one of the many interesting things that's going on with COVID-19 right now. Matt, what have your concerns been around the disease? I'm kind of in a weird space, and I think, I, I don't know how some of our listeners feel, but, you know, we're still sort of in this, like, fog of, like, things are okay. I mean, even after the change in the CDC mask mandate, um, we really haven't gone back to sort of a lockdown mode yet. And and so I, I think I'm trying to, like, ramp up for wearing masks again indoors and i'm starting to pack it with me um but we really haven't gotten sort of that guidance from the local health department to say you know we're in full lockdown even though that there's some discussions about it um you know I, I think on last week's episode we were talking about how how some of these government agencies are now saying look employees have to be vaccinated or they're saying um if you're not vaccinated you have to do regular testing uh those that are unvaccinated then then need to do uh you know, need to wear masks. And so we're just seeing a lot of this stuff. And it, and, and so I, so, so we're kind of in a wait and see mode, at, at least in my circles about this. Um, but there, but there was a, you know, you know, Reuters was talking about how uh, Israel was going to be rolling out a booster shot. And, That's right. And I, and I was just kind of curious what, what, what your thoughts were about this since, since you were kind of like, well, we're, we're not quite sure about the effectiveness of this. 
You know, we get a lot of our data from Israel because they were one of the early countries to get a very high percentage of their population vaccinated. And they have the infrastructure to do a lot of studies on the cases that are coming through. So on the breakthrough cases, they can look at the the different immune markers, the like the antibody titers, they can look at the the different characteristics of people who are getting sick. So Israel early on noticed that um, these the breakthrough cases for people who had been vaccinated closer to January seemed to be more than the breakthrough cases that were happening for people who were more recently vaccinated. And they had correlated with these antibody titers. And so they had also noticed that for the Delta variant, for the breakthrough cases specifically, um, that whereas the UK had, had shown that there was the 80% efficacy in protecting against the Delta variant with the Pfizer, the Moderna vaccines, I think it was Pfizer, AstraZeneca actually, um, in Israel with Pfizer, it was only something like 40%. And the Israeli scientists said, we think it's actually because we were vaccinated many, many months before you were in the UK. And so the reason why we have less efficacy is because those antibody titers have gone down. And that's a working hypothesis. It's not definitive, but it makes a lot of sense. And so we'll see, I mean, it, especially in Israel, it, we understand how their policy was informed. And so we'll see what happens because they give us the data earliest. I wouldn't be surprised if the UK comes back and offers booster shots like very soon. And the United States, we'll see if they follow suit or not. Now, the United States recently did reach its 70% milestone, I think, uh, about a month later than it was than, it, than, than President Biden was hoping it would. Uh, so we're not doing terribly with our vaccinations, but as has been repeated over and over again, it's very piecemeal. So... Recently, Florida was reported to have over 10,000 people hospitalized with with COVID, which was a very, very concerning number. And in central Texas, you're getting, like, very similarly in areas that aren't highly vaccinated, you're getting um, ICUs that are overrun, you're getting the hospitals that are, that are, are put under a lot of pressure. In the... The, the question with the healthcare workers now is do they even have the the resilience to go through another one of these public health crises? And talking to friends who are healthcare workers, they said to me, no, like there are so many people leaving and ready to just throw that, throw in the towel and say like, we told you, like you keep doing this, stop it. You know, we can't work anymore because this is killing us. This is too much for us. Not that they're gonna necessarily get COVID anymore, although many are getting it again with Delta. They're just getting ill, they're not getting severely ill, but they don't want this kind of pressure. They don't wanna buckle again. So um, it's, it's, it's affecting way more people than the idea that, and this is the problem with public health perception, that it's just you and that you just need to be responsible for yourself because in a highly communicable disease like this, then you're not just responsible for yourself. You end up passing it on to so many others, which brings us to another interesting story that there are different places like in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a uh, there was a healthcare institution that had mandated all of its employees be vaccinated. Well, not everybody was cool with that, and there was a there was a a protest uh, in response to that with hundreds of people. And I also have to say, talking to my pe- my friends in healthcare. That uh, and so it's very tricky to work with folks who are in the healthcare world who are now at much higher risk of exposure and much higher risk of passing it on to other individuals and not having a clear mandate one way or another. So uh, it's not over. The battle is kind of raging on, and we have a lot of things to continue to be concerned about. 
one of the really interesting points that came out recently on CNN, I think, was you have, in terms of people who are actually concerned about um, contracting the Delta variant of COVID-19, by far, it's people who've already been vaccinated. Those who have not been vaccinated aren't particularly concerned. Wow. It's, it's something like half the number, if, if, if even that. Um, and the vaccines have been shown, I think the analysis was that you are 25 times more likely to be severely ill or die from COVID-19 if you haven't been vaccinated. And so, you know, if you're at it two or three times, I would be in line to get the vaccine already. But to be 25 more times as likely, to me, that's that's kind of a no-brainer. That's a very, very clear benefit of the vaccine. So that you have this data that suggests one way, it's it's clearly saving lives. And on the other side, that the people who care about the, the concern of, of, of reinfection or breakthrough infection or any kind of infection for that matter are people who've already been vaccinated, tells you that this is going to continue to ravage for a while and it's going to continue to hit the, the, the people who are, are holding out on the vaccines. So uh, we've talked about this every week. We have been proponents of it. I understand there are circumstances where people are limited and can't get vaccinated. Um, but I'm a big proponent of, of being vaccinated, especially in light of the recent data and the fact that the Delta variant is nasty and it's not going to be the last one. We're going to have more. Yeah. And in this week, The Hill reported that uh, the U.S. passed 35 million COVID-19 cases so far. Um, and, and the numbers just continue to grow. I mean, I mean, as you said, and and I think, uh, you know, we've just been seeing here in, in Colorado, particularly in these more rural areas where there seems to be a larger unvaccinated population, um, it's spreading at a very rapid rate. Um, and it's and it's certainly very frightening for, you know, for those people, you know, in those communities. And some of them have nursing facilities. Some of them have large senior communities. They have people that are tourists that are visiting in and out. And so um, it's it's just been very interesting to kind of see the trend not going in the right direction. And, and now we're seeing sort of this this thing spreading in all these places where we wouldn't think we'd almost think like they were more isolated and they would be OK. And now it seems to be spreading in these areas. Yeah. And remember, it spreads more quickly with the Delta variant. So you produce more virus, which makes you spread it more quickly. And I was I was reading up on the molecular biology of this, which is really interesting. It's it, I have never read anything like this before about what the coronavirus actually does to your cells. It, it literally um, chops it up into ways that we're not used to seeing and reprograms it to do things that we're not used to seeing either. The Delta variant adds a, a few other spots where it becomes much stickier in the way that it can bind. And it uses your own cells to do that, to create that advantage for it. And so... What ends up happening is the Delta variant will stick to more cells that allow for replication more quickly. And when you have been vaccinated, um, because you have an initial immune response and your immune response is much quicker, instead of there being a massive expansion of virus, you end up getting an initial, an initial punch of virus but your immune system comes through right away. So your symptoms are milder. You keep the disease to a normal course length. So usually less than 10 days, um, maybe a little bit more, but it's not the people who have it for three months. It's certainly not more than two weeks on average. It's, it's much, it's much more typically contained in a shorter amount of time because your body has been ready for it and it knows how to just quash it really quickly. So understanding that also helped me understand like, 
you're not you're not doing hocus pocus here. You're you're actually appropriately defending yourself, and you're creating the best environment in which you can to take on this. And in addition to all the things that you might attribute to your own good health normally of diet, exercise, yada, yada. It's all great. But then this is the type of thing we need in a very, very strange virus because the the way it works on your cell is just so unique and so nasty. So there was my, there was my COVID spiel for today. I always have one. Um, the As you mentioned, the 35 million cases, if you look at the number of hospitalizations during the summer, though, it's a fraction of what it was last summer. And that's because you have people who've been vaccinated to help block that. So you might have more cases than uh, we have at other points. We are having a spike again across the country. That is no secret. But because of the vaccines, we tend to not have the terrible impact on our public health system, except in the regions where they're largely unvaccinated. And even in a large place like L.A., there are a critical mass of people that are unvaccinated still, so you can still cause the buckling. You can still have a lot of virus around. I'm hopeful. I think people will start, we're seeing more stories of people who are scrambling to be vaccinated because they realize it. And if you're concerned about the time course of the month in between, get the Johnson & Johnson. You know, it, it's a one It's a one shot um, if you feel comfortable, if, if that's something that you're not, you don't have contraindications for. But it's it's something that you could do pretty quickly. And within a couple of weeks, you will have a large amount of immunity created. Well, you know, speaking of vaccine and those that are unvaccinated, <clears throat> there was a very interesting article that uh, certainly caught my attention was, are you familiar that there is a unvaccinated dating sites that was out there, an actual app for those that didn't that 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 don't want the vaccination. Have you heard about this? I did hear about this. <laughs> I did hear about this. What kind of crazy like I mean, okay, fine. So, so I mean, I recognize that there's lots of different communities out there and not and lots of different dating apps uh, for various different communities. And, um, you know, but this one was interesting to me that a, a, a dating app that was out there called Unjected, they had it out there on the app store and they also had a Instagram presence. And this was just to bring unvaccinated people together to, you know, kind of a dating app kind of thing, uh, was pulled from the app store and also was removed from Instagram. So under their policy, they were saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, you know, obviously lots of concern around COVID misinformation and they were both uh, booted out there. And of course, you know, the, 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 the two women who founded this are, you know, are claiming that, you know, this is censorship and this and this isn't right. And so it was just sort of a it was a very interesting post. I didn't even know that it existed. I didn't I, you know, I'm not dating anymore. So but I thought it was interesting that there's even like a dating community of those people who aren't vaccinated, which I thought was just kind of fascinating. So I had heard the argument. I had a f- I have a friend who had a sibling who was getting married and their friend is affiliates with the QAnon movement. And at their wedding, they require that everybody be unvaccinated. And the rationale was that if you had people there that were vaccinated, then they would have a false sense of security and they would be acting recklessly around doing whatever they wanted because they felt that they were superior. Therefore, um, they were more likely to bring in the virus to their their space, and so they wanted they they checked to make sure that everybody was unvaccinated at the wedding. Wow. That's complete bunk, by the way. That's completely yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. such a 
what yeah. in the world kind of reasoning is that? But yeah, it was it was a friend sibling's wedding. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like you know, and and I certainly understand where people who develop an app and who develop a you know social media platform all of a sudden have it removed, um, all that work that went into it, and. I, I don't, you know, I don't know enough about this app, but I'm sure it probably brought people together, you know, like, like many of these apps do. But uh, it was interesting because one of the founders was said, uh, apparently we're considered too much for sharing our medical autonomy and freedom of choice. So, of course, Apple removed us. Um, so I, I, I just thought it was it was it was it was interesting to see this. Um, I, I mean, do you think that that this is a form of censorship by Apple? OK, so here's here's the true conflict that exists that has always existed between public health and individual freedoms. Um, there's a tension there, an appropriate tension, because a public health measure that tells you not to cough on someone else's face indicates that they're infringing on your right to cough. And if that person's face is in the way, then they could have they could have worn a face shield. But the truth is, you know, because we have trouble seeing it, we don't imagine the the physicality of what we're doing, the actual droplets. We don't, that and and even understanding, I think it, it comes down to a real lack of understanding of science. Uh, that that people view this as you're telling me what to do, and but public health has been necessary uh, often in history to help create measures that protect us from ourselves, to help protect us from each other, especially those that don't have the same maybe. Uh, vitality that someone else has just because of the way they were born. I mean, like, there, there are things that have nothing to do with an individual's choice that brings someone into their their status of health. So there's always been a tension between public health and this this debate of you're infringing on my right to do what I want. Um, you'd hope that the values of a society can balance these things. So on one side, you know, you get the people that are complaining about the cigarettes. You know, we, we do so much to tax cigarettes. We do so much to discourage cigarette smoking. At the end of the day, you're like, look, it's my body. If I want to smoke a cigarette and do whatever I want to do to my lungs, and that's my business, that's you right. need to stay out. That's right. You know? Yeah. 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 You, you smoke cigars. <laughs> like, you you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know what? I'll smoke a cigar with you every once in a while, too. Heck, yeah. Um, that's one version of the argument. And you know what? Public health doesn't actually get into your cigar box and say, no, you can't do this. But if we found out that every time you smoked a cigar, you could possibly kill 10 people around you, then public health would have something to say about that. And you do have a right to do a lot of things until that right is going to affect someone else's rights. And I think that's where people have a lot of trouble viewing this. So do I think it's like really clear all the time that public health has a space in one version and not another? No. But what we know about COVID is that this is community transfer. I mean, this is really coming from people in the community giving it to each other. And that comes from, I, I have a friend who actually just got it and he, he had been vaccinated. Um, so he was traveling, flying back from the Midwest. There was a person sitting on the plane with him who was coughing. And two days later, you know, they went through the entire slew of, of symptoms and tested positive for COVID again. So the the thing is, you you want somebody who's like that to not get on the airplane. The airplane says, don't go if you have a cough. Don't go if you've been in contact with people. Get yourself tested. Like all of these things. And because we don't mandate it, then people view it kind of like, a well, you know, they were wearing a mask, it should have protected them. They're not seeing that if, unless you're wearing an N95 that's been properly fitted, you're not really that protected. Like the mask protects other people from getting it from you. But if you decide to pull down your freaking face mask because you deserve to eat peanuts in the middle of a flight while you've got COVID, every time you chomp down, you are spreading 
particles of virus to your neighbors every time. So there's we ask people to be individually responsible for other people, but they don't even know what they don't know. They don't know what they're doing. And so public health is necessary to help inform and drive those policies. And I think that this is a, an example where there was a real lack of public health understanding and its power. And I have a public health colleague who said now the CDC is the laughing stock of the world, the way it was handled here in this country, because it was so out of control. People had no idea. Um, it was so politicized. There was no uniformity in messaging. There was it was a free for all with everything. So um, I think that I think that there's been a lot of disempowerment in the American health system that came from the argument of the individual rights and liberties. And I think that that was royally unfair because um, the consequences could have been severe illness and death because of that. I think that that was a really um, a really short sighted way to look at, at the argument. Yeah, for sure. And and I do want to give credit because this story about this um, unvaccinated dating site, dating site, this unjected was uh, was from the Daily Mail. And, you know, as, as I was looking at this story, you know, it looks like the creators had initially submitted their app for review, was rejected. That's not uncommon because a lot of times at the app store, the first time you send something in, you know, it doesn't always get accepted. But um, it looks like they this app had had some challenges and, and, and it looks like Apple had uh, said, hey, you know, we have some issues with, you know, kind of a, the social media aspect of it. Uh, they had even had, I got to find the exact verbiage for this, uh, but they actually had a feed in there called a blood bank. Um, and they were discouraging users from using the word jabbed and microchip. Um, and, and it sounds like Apple just had enough and they, they were just like, Hey, we're just going to go ahead and pull this. And also, you know, Instagram being a Facebook property, right. uh, also is, is playing it. So, uh, you know, to me, I, I think, I think it is, if you have sort of sources of misinformation that's going out there, um, I, I think these tech companies have a responsibility to, to look at it. And I think if in the case of Apple, they made their policies known, uh, particularly around COVID-19, um, because they're, you know, their phones are everywhere and uh, their their apps, uh, they really do scrutinize them and, and, and kind of put them through the ringer. Uh, they said no, you know, and, and we're not going to do it. Um, and particularly when, when they're seeing kind of this microchip and then like weird feeds called blood bank and those type of things saying, I don't think we, we, we want this on our platform. But it doesn't prevent, for, for those of you that, that aren't in the tech sphere, just because you're not in the app store, it doesn't mean that this group or these, or these women can't create a website and put an online community together. They could do that. They could, you know, use any number of other vehicles, but the companies that host them may say, we have rules and policies for, for hosting this, which kind of goes back to many of our other uh, episodes where it's, you know, are you a platform? And if you are a platform and people are using it, how much is, you know, is it censorship or is it the platform saying, you know, we, we have a responsibility with this? Part of me, Matt, thinks that this was, uh, this was bait. Um, in that the argument of the microchip and the idea that all of this is really big tech's investment into controlling us and listening to our private conversations and the the idea that, and, and we talk about a lot of these kinds of themes as well, but the microchip implanted in, in the vaccine is the silliest thing I think I've ever heard. And the 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 paranoia that goes along with that that line of thought is going to lend itself to 
waiting and seeing if you force your issue with a big tech company and you see that it says no that's not going to fly then you've just created all of the ingredients together to say like oh look see they didn't even let us use our free speech which was which was detrimental and and problematic so it it really it hits me as if this were dare i say a stunt um, and that if they wanted to make a website and be part of a community that way, which they were perfectly capable of being, we all did dating like this on a website long before there were apps for dating. If you remember what that was like, Matt, um, you old married man, you. I, I, I've been an old man for a really long time. You have. It's, <laughs> you and Julia. You and Julia. I have two pairs of slippers, you know, because I have the outdoor pair and I have the indoor pair. No, I, I think I think you're right. I think part of it is a little bit of a stunt. So uh, apparently, in the in this article uh, from the Daily, they they were saying that the uh, they said there was about eighteen thousand downloads, uh, which is nothing. Which is nothing. Um, I mean, I you know I, I just pulled up just some rough data from uh, Statista, and there's about one hundred and thirty three million iPhone users in the U.S. So eighteen thousand is really is, is not a big amount, but but it's a community, right? Yeah. Um, and so they and, and the founders did say in this article that uh, it might be easier for them to create a website, which, uh, you know, that that was sort of my thinking as well. But um, also web hosting companies also have policies and procedures in regard to their content and what they host. So they may have to find a platform that is a little bit more comfortable with this with this type of content. And, and, mm-hmm. and especially right now when this content is being heavily scrutinized and monitored. Uh, because of this uh, big public health concern. Yep, absolutely. All right, so now that we've left you with all these happy thoughts about COVID-19, the people who are refusing to be vaccinated, the paranoia that goes along with it, um, let's take you to a word from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimming suit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda Dry Bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. And we're back, where Matt is going to tell us about some of the week's latest tech stories and how much Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse really does suck. <laughs> Yeah, so this was the rundown of like uh, strange but exciting stories this week. And so I have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So uh, Mark Zuckerberg made this announcement that Facebook is going to be creating a, a metaverse. And for those of you that have enjoyed Ready Player One, the the book, um, also, uh, also the movie that came out, which I thought was okay, um, it's sort of this idea of sort of this other internet, this world that people can tap into, and and it's and Facebook is saying it's going to be the metaverse, and that they're, they're that they're going to become a metaverse company. My first reaction to this story was, we can't trust you with basic social media, let alone a completely immersive metaverse. 
Um, because when when people talk about meta, you know, a metaverse in like science fiction writing and those type of things, it's a very it's like a, it's like another world. It's a it's a virtual environment that has good parts, bad parts, parts where you buy stuff, you sell stuff. I mean, it's this very immersive environment. I don't think we want Zuckerberg to really be the one responsible for creating it. Um, I think I would rather it be something that's open source, um, something that that people would sort of help construct. I don't think uh, he's really the I don't think it's the company. I mean, he has a lot of money, so he, he could definitely you know work towards this. But Facebook has shown this history of not being responsible with people's data. Um, also, they haven't handled information that well. We've talked about the issues around election and around COVID. Uh, for them to create a whole other world where people can j- jump into virtually and sort of interact with everything with no degree of privacy, uh, I-, I don't know about this whole metaverse thing. And it also could be completely made up and he's really not going anywhere with it. But I was just kind of curious, when you see this metaverse that he's going to be doing it, what, what do you think about this? It sounds like something where Zuckerberg was inspired by somebody's innovation talk. And they're like, what can we do that's really out of the box? Let's even remove the box entirely and create a sphere or a cube. And then what would that look like? And somebody watched Ready Player One. And like, I know. Let's take it to the next level. And maybe that maybe this is the kind of prototyping that they need to do to figure out what is really cool in the next level of technology or next level of, of interconnectivity that we have. But um, as you kind of pointed out in a not so subtle way, I'm not sure Facebook is the company to bring us there because they're so corruptible. I mean, and, and I mean that in a way that not necessarily that they took bribes or it's just, it's so easily marred by people using it for means that are um, ethically wrong and, and uh, they do remove our rights um, and so I don't think they're the right company to create a new world for us um, to to live in, given that that track record, because I I don't know about you, but I haven't been hit by, you know, Facebook's kind of re- response to all of the the finger pointing about their involvement in like the Cambridge Analytics kind of stuff or the uh, from from the election in, in 2016 or the. Uh, the stealing of data, not the, stealing, the selling of data without people knowing, or it's you know, just like one after another that that profoundly affected the world and continues to affect the world. I'm not sure I, I understand that that they've got a clear vision of of what they stand for. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not cool with Facebook doing it. Yeah, and I think there's there's part of it when I when I read this announcement is is because because Facebook does with virtual reality does Oculus type things. And, and I think not Facebook, but I think, you know, I would love to have a company that sort of does that, you know, William Shatner's tech war had a, had a virtual world that you would tap into. I mean, we saw lawnmower man. We've seen lots of examples of sort of this virtual reality world that, that, that you like tap into. And it's certainly, it's certainly a compelling childhood thing that I was like, Oh, you know, you are speaking to the 1990s. Yeah, I remember yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. 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 It was awesome. And, and I don't know, uh, do you remember those like virtual reality cafes for a while? You know, you yeah, would go yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think we all thought that that this would be, you know, this idea of this virtual reality world or this other Internet that that would be far more visual as you would navigate it and, and sort of play games and interact with everyone. It's a cool idea. But Facebook is in the business of making money off their users data and and a story. It's about advertising. It's about those yeah. things. So. Fundamentally, can they build a platform where it's safe for people in this virtual environment, where their data will be respected, they will be respected? 
I just don't see it. I, I am curious on what the business model is for something like this. So how are they going to make money of it? No company does this just because they're interested. There is at some point a means of making money. So what would it be off of? Yeah. And like that quote says, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So if, if it's free, you're somehow contributing to something or they're shoving ads in front of you. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. like, how are they going to monetize off of it? That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so wait, what's going on? Because we like to hit all of our big wigs. What's going on in the world of Google? Oh my gosh. So this was a nerdapalooza. So I want to kind of break this thing down because it sounds ridiculous. So when I say this, because when I heard this story, I go, I, I cannot believe this. So I had to look into it. So Google has a, I'm going to break it down into two parts. Okay. I need to hear both. I'm going to Okay. Worry. So Google has a quantum computer. And in a lot of times, people are like, what, what is a quantum computer? Exactly. Um, very simply, a very big, very sophisticated computer that um, when we talk about quantum computing, a regular computer has ones and zeros. It's either on or off. Um, a quantum computer has a third option. So, uh, you know, like if, if, if you gave a, you know, a maze to a regular computer, it's going to try route one, fail. Try route two, fail try route three, succeed. It, it's going to go, I'm going to go pass, fail, pass, fail, pass, fail until it succeeds. And then it moves on to the, to the next step. That's how, and this is me very much, you know, oversimplifying it. Now a quantum computer has a third option. Uh, the quantum computer is okay with uncertainty. So it doesn't need to pass fail. It can be somewhere in between. So if a quantum computer is facing that same maze problem, it can try all of the paths knowing that most of them will fail, but one will succeed. So it has this it has this third option. So it gives us the ability to look at very complex things. We can actually throw some problems at it and see what it can do. So Google has developed this quantum computer. Um, we have other countries that are checking out quantum computing because you know there's some big problems that we want to solve. These things consume a lot of energy. They require a lot of cooling. Not everybody has them, and we're not practically we're not practically going to get one in our households anytime soon. But part of this work with the quantum computer was they have developed what is called a time crystal. And no, this is not a Marvel thing. This is a legitimate. <laughs> this is a a uh, a, a legitimate uh, item. So it is called a time crystal, and uh, Google is saying that they have with their quantum computer has created a time crystal. Now, time crystal showed up as an idea like in 2012 and the quantum computer was able to figure this out. So um, without getting into too many nerdy components to it, these time crystals, the reason they call them is they're sort of like a, um, the best way I can put it is, is it's it's sort of like those machines that just continue going and going and going. Um, this is what this crystal can do. The it, the energy doesn't dissipate within it. It sort of just keeps constantly moving forward. Um, you know, there there was there was a couple of articles where they likened it to they were saying like a snowflake is like imagine a snowflake that doesn't melt. It just transforms from maybe like a five sided snowflake to a nine sided snowflake and back again without energy without any energy loss. So. This is very interesting. Now, this needs to be checked by other people. This needs to have peer review. There's a lot of work that has to be done with it. But the idea of these time crystals being created um, shows some interesting capabilities and some possibilities out there. One of them is around energy, the ability that we have. We have this crystal that's sort of like this self-propelling um, 
a thing is the best way I can put it. Um, so yeah, it sounds like something that's out of like science fiction. So this was sort of the big story of the week. So you can look at Time Crystal Google and you will see a lot of articles on this. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was pretty exciting to hear. Wait, doesn't this doesn't this seem to violate one of the laws of thermodynamics? Like, isn't something supposed to always go from a higher to a lower energy state? And so if it's just changing shape, Correct. Does it is it changing shape always to a lower energy state confirmation? No, this completely breaks that theory, and this is why it was it was a it was a pretty significant news uh, story this week because yeah we're from we we've never seen anything like this before, and that's where th- this is a very early step in other areas because like when when we talk about this sort of uh, capability. Um, not only do we talk about energy, but they're talking about space flight. They're also talking about powering other sort of quantum devices that give us the ability to kind of chew through things at a much faster rate. So yes, it, it, it completely breaks that. And so that's why we really are going to be interested to see kind of the news as it rolls out over these next couple of months. And there's some peer reviews on this to see where this thing can go. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. Okay, first of all, it still sounds like it's in a Marvel movie. and <laughs> The if, time I mean, this, crystal. Yeah, no, this is, this is totally something that a villain would want to steal for their own evil purposes. And some rich inventor would create a suit of armor so that they could uh, prevent that from happening and save the world again. Uh, although I don't see all the potential and all the evil there, but I'm sure there is. And it sounds cool. I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. Uh, next question is, uh, what what's the point of the time crystal again this is just the power of the quantum computer um well i think that there's some potential out there one of the things that they were talking about was just as an energy source so for something that can generate energy but not have any sort of loss um there's some potential out there for you know you know for our for our energy needs so i thought that that was pretty interesting there was some things about space travel uh there was also some things about um these type of crystals being used for other quantum computing uh projects uh, but I think the most appealing is the ability to be able to harness this type of energy. So, um, and we've never thought about something like this before, but with quantum computing, we have been able to, you know, what looks like and what's being reported on is that Google has said that they've achieved it. So, uh, but but more to come. I'm always really skeptical on stories like this. So so I'm going to want to see some peer reviews and, 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 and see what they've been able to do with it. But uh, it is definitely a real thing. Uh, but because it doesn't lose any sort of energy, they call it, it's a time crystal. It doesn't need any time. So, um, so I would definitely uh, take a look out there. So it sounds goofy like something from a movie. But if you look up time crystal on Google, you, you will see a lot of articles about it this week. It totally sounds so the... I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Um, what are the implications? So you read about this in Wired. You read about this in a couple other magazines. What What are the implications for Google's place in in the wars of the, the tech giants? Is this giving Google a new kind of identity that they're creating new kinds of technology? Where so okay, you got the Facebookians going toward this metaverse side of things. So we're, we are. This is the year of innovation. Clearly, they they created big R&D teams to work on things that were completely different than before. So you've got the the Facebook side of the metaverse, then you get this Google side that sounds like it's creating a new uh, flux capacitor or something. You know, it's, it's, it's the new uh, Star Trek thing that's going to allow for the, what was the thing called that gave you any kind of food? The replicator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the, like a new replicator. Um, are these big tech companies starting to take on new identities where we saw 
uh, you know, we saw a lot of re- reinventing of, of what a company does. You know, IBM went from building computers to building solutions kind of thing. Are we seeing Google and Facebook starting to toy with these ideas as well? You know, I think I think Google is one that they sort of have this culture of experimenting with things. Um, I think quantum computing is one of them. They were looking at self-driving cars. They were looking at fiber optic technology. They sort of have this culture and the sort of the the support from the founders and the company to try things. Um, to build a quantum computer was no small expense. And for it to be able to work with, in, in what it looks like is that they are working with others on this in areas of academia and others, um, to be able to kind of be this innovator and, and to try these things, knowing that quantum computing and artificial intelligence and all those type of things is sort of where things are headed. And there's a bit of a race to be able to kind of get this technology out there and to have it solve problems. So Google's really positioned themselves well. And I think more so than Facebook. I mean, I, I don't I don't put Facebook in the same sort of category as, as what Google is doing, uh, but we're seeing other innovators out there. I think that when we look at, um, as much as Elon's a very interesting character, SpaceX um, was one that mm-hmm. he, you know, he's innovating. I mean, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I mean, he's certainly trying some things out there, um, you know, and, and saying, hey, you know, you know, how can we get some reusable rockets and, and we can be able to get this stuff out there. And I also think, you know, Starlink uh, was a very innovative way to, you know, to solve an Internet access problem. I don't really see that with Facebook. Um and in, in like companies like Apple, um, Apple doesn't have a good history of leading. They have a good history of seeing what the market does, and then they sort of grab it, and then they redesign it and make it better. Mm-hmm. But, so they're more, they're more design-oriented than they are innovation-oriented. Yeah, yeah, and they do a fantastic job at it. But I mean, I just don't see them as a company that sort of leads really effectively. Um, but we're just going to have to sell. I mean, I mean, like Microsoft is certainly doing some very innovative things. Um, I think HoloLens was a good example of sort of what augmented reality technology could be. But this certainly, you know, for me, puts puts Google uh, quite a bit ahead. Now, again, I just want to put a disclaimer. It does. Other people need to review this. Um, people need to verify this information. Um, and so I think I think once this stuff is peer reviewed and, and we have some more details, um, I, I think it'll be hopefully everything is correct and it'll and it'll lead to some exciting new research. Is there um, are there implications for sustainability that that Google is talking about with this? Because this seems to be the other thing besides in the science news world. Um, it's either COVID stories or sustainability stories right now. So is this was this something that Google tapped into as if, you know, the energy isn't lost, if this is something we could look at for modeling sustainable something or another, energies or something, resources? And so what's interesting is it's like the articles, the, the statements out of Google are very high level, uh, very exciting. We did this. But a lot of people are just being very skeptical and they're kind of saying this is the possibility for some of these things. So um, we haven't seen exactly what what Google wants to do, but I, I would assume that if they're saying, hey, there's some potential for, you know, maybe us using this for some energy issues or maybe us using it for this, um, that, yeah, I think I think that that sustainability could play a role. But the energy required to power a quantum computer, there's nothing energy efficient about that as all. So, <laughs> <laughs> also during, true. during the uh, creation of, of such crystal, I'm sure that that it burned a lot of power and probably there was a lot of water cooling involved with this as well because those quantum computers generate quite a bit of heat. Um, on a nerdy question, because these haven't been nerdy yet, did you ever watch The Dark Crystal? I did. I didn't like it as a kid because it kind of freaked me out. Scared the Jesus out of me. Yeah. Did you ever watch the updated one that they had for Netflix that was like a prequel? It was a series. No, was it was it just as terrifying? 
Yes, and very, okay. very well done. Okay. Uh, but it makes me think of that show, and I'm worried about the little elven people of our planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was... Yeah, it was exciting. Um, I mean, uh, you know, when I looked at that, I was like, oh, we created a time crystal. How cool is that? So I was thinking, like, you know, you know, could this be the uh, dilithium crystal of our age? You know, is it is it going to be something how that's going to power some stuff? So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be pretty cool. So how interesting. How interesting. All right. So we already we, we got on Apple because we learned that Apple had removed the anti-vax dating site. Um, and we heard that Facebook was doing its it's metaverse explorations and we heard that google has discovered a time crystal uh and currently there are a bunch of bad guys probably looking to get their grimy hands on it uh then the last who else is left what other big big tech companies are left to to spill the spill the gossip with well the the other one was uh zoom so um i i got a question didn't you say that you got zoom bombed during the uh, pandemic i couldn't remember oh yeah i was part of a thing so i wasn't luckily the person who organized the event but i was one of the people who probably represented my institution during the event and it was ugly it was very ugly yeah, Zoom Zoom was in a uh, pretty large settlement. It became a, a big action um, where, you know, Zoom had made some claims to say, you know, our platform's really secure. There's nothing for you to worry about. Um, and then during the pandemic, many, many people got Zoom bombed. And uh, so they joined together. And so there's an $85 million settlement coming from Zoom uh, nice. because they they didn't represent the product the way that it should have been. And so the, those that got Zoom bombed or, or had some issues, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, you know, people can file for, you know, particularly those that were paid members uh, can certainly get some money back. But even those that were just using the free membership are, are also eligible for some compensation as well. So please take a look at that Zoom settlement because. Uh, yeah, if during the pandemic you got Zoom bombed or you, or you got compromised on one of your events, uh, please be sure to, to, to take a look at it. And, and, and I think it was a fair judgment because I think, you know, Zoom had always said, you know, hey, we are we're super secure. We're the platform for academia. We're the platform for medical professionals, IT professionals, you name it. And they got out there and they said, it, and it's great for your grandma because you can interact with her for free for 45 minutes, you know, per shot. And they kind of created this and then during the pandemic we saw that horribly failed and then they ended up getting some real security experts involved and they and they hired some really good ones and then they started retooling the zoom platform now it has these controls in place and they've made a lot of good decisions but uh they said they had they, they had created this platform before and it wasn't until they got bit that then they started hiring some good people that uh, got them back on track so yeah it was definitely sort of a it was what i saw i'm like man we don't often talk about zoom but but yeah an 85 million dollar settlement do you think Zoom is going to stay? Because $85 million is not a small amount, but they expanded so much during the pandemic because they were everybody's go-to. I mean, we've now seen that you've got other platforms that became more user-friendly and more secure like Zoom. So Google Meets, Microsoft Teams. Uh, what else is there that's similar? I, I don't know. Do you think Zoom is going to expand? Do you think that Zoom is where it is now and they're, they've taken their corner of the market and this is what they're going to be doing? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think that they uh, really, timing was everything. And even though they had some issues, Zoom really swept in. And people like Zoom because it's easy to use. And, you know, their ability for people to do webinars, their ability to, uh, they also integrated in 
uh, the ability to invite translators. So you can actually have multiple, you know, you can have multiple translators on the call. Uh, they've really created a very easy to use platform and they really filled that void. And, and I think you and I may have talked about this a little bit, but during the pandemic, this was a great opportunity for those companies like Skype. Uh, Microsoft had their had Teams, uh, which Skype is a Microsoft property, uh, but even like Google and these type of companies to really beef up their virtual and sort of video uh, presence in their software. And they really didn't do that until much later where Zoom was like, hey, you know, we, we have the ability. I mean, simple things like the ability to raise a hand or do a thumbs up or have the or the virtual backgrounds or those type of things. Zoom was just more evolved and it was very easy from everyone from a technical person to, you know, like, you know, my grandparents could use Zoom. And so um, I think they're going to be around for a while. And it seems to be sort of the it seems like every company sort of has that, oh, we have a contract with Google or we have a contract with Microsoft. They sort of have their like primary, you know, it comes with the package for free kind of thing. But anytime they do sort of a community event or people who are sort of outside their organization, Zoom seems to be the go-to way more than WebEx or GoToMeeting or any of these other oh ones. Oh my so, gosh. So, so yeah, so I, I, I think it's staying around for a while, but how is it in your organization? Do you, do you all use you know quite a bit of Zoom? We started using Zoom before other people were using Zoom, because if you remember the lovely comparison between Zoom and WebEx, WebEx was just so temperamental and so difficult to integrate with whatever slow. else you were doing. It was slow. Oh, every time you had a WebEx meeting, I remember I was supposed to give a national webinar on WebEx once, and um, we had to spend a day doing a, a, re a rehearsal of using WebEx for all of us to make sure that it went without a hitch during the actual presentation. Now, I have, you know... I've used Zoom now for, for a number of years, and it's it's something that I keep on, I, I'm able to handle problems as they arise in the moment. Like it's not, it's not that counterintuitive. You kind of figure it out immediately what to do. Oh, you know, that person isn't coming through. How about I come up with another way to let you in the meeting or the, uh, the breakout rooms or the polls or the, like there's so many things you can do that are so easy in sharing your screen. What kind of screen do I want to share? They, they figured that stuff out really early on, and um, WebEx really did not. So I, I I was glad that Zoom filled that niche, but I don't understand what the end game is for Zoom because they, they gained a lot of ground during the pandemic. And are they going to stay at a niche level, or are they going to they going to be a part of the metaverse or the or the quantum computing or the I mean, are they already because now that they have a large enough space to think about occupying something beyond you know a virtual meeting you know are, are they are they going to to offer uh you know like for for different things you can see like hr software or these terrible things where companies are now recording you coming into work versus leaving like when you sign on these are conversations we had so zoom is positioned to do different things i just don't know if they will or if if they want to, because growing is always with risk and, and a headache. Yeah, I think, you know, I think where Zoom has a has a really good edge is sort of this this ability to have anyone and everyone join your Zoom call without an account. And I, I mean, they do have sort of account type systems if you need it. But this idea of I can create a Zoom meeting, send you a link, you go into the waiting room, we can let you in. Um, I also think, you know, sort of their like you said, like the breakout rooms or the ability, some of their like little interactive tools. They, I mean, they were one of the, like Google Meets just now got polling. We just now got breakout rooms and Zoom has had that for a really long time. And so yeah, I feel like, yeah. I feel like Zoom 
seems to do a good job of listening to its users and rolling out some interesting functionality and little things like Zoom sort of built-in filters. People actually look better on Zoom than on other platforms with their that technology. That is true. And so, and so it kind of cracks me up about how, you know, how people respond to it. And they, and, and they love the virtual backgrounds. A lot of these tools haven't had them until just recently. Zoom's always had them. And people found that little feature very, very appealing. And the other thing I, I, always, I always encourage folks to think about is not to underestimate the fact that youth um, during this time is also getting more comfortable with Zoom. And that's becoming the platform that they're really used to, which mm. has the potential of shaping the future workforce and also the expectations of, you know, like like with me, I grew up with, with some technology. So I expected that in the workplace when I got there. So it's going to be interesting if, if Zoom sort of sticks around and as these as these young people sort of start to advance in you know in you know in, in their academics, you know when I when I go to high school, am I going to expect a Zoom atmosphere there uh, when I take my online classes, or do I see something else? Because they're sort of used to this full feature platform. That's right, and, and they're worked they're worked into the learning management systems as yeah. well. I, that's yeah. one of the ones that we use. I mean, everything is already integrated into doing a Zoom file that records to the cloud and you immediately have access to the recorded class. It's really, really useful. Yeah, for sure. And, and I also just think that, like, you know, if you're doing virtual virtual training, um, I just know it just it just seems to handle that stuff much better. Uh, the other platforms are coming along, but I think, that, I think that this was the case where Zoom got out ahead of it and they really, ma- even though they stumbled, they really maximized their time to kind of become this dominant force. And to their credit, you know, they they allow people to use Zoom for free during the pandemic. Um, that was smart. Yeah, that was very smart. And it just it put it in the hands of more people. And, and so here's my prediction. I think we're going to be using Zoom for a little longer than we were hoping. Uh, but it doesn't mean people aren't going back to work. It doesn't mean that people aren't moving on with their lives. But we do have to face the reality that they're still in a pandemic and the virus mutates and the technology challenges that um, arose to help us cope with it are going to continue to evolve to help us deal with the next phases of this, whether it be um, a metaverse, which I, I just want to know what the people were thinking when they came up with that one, or you know, more innovations around meeting capacities and, and something as simple as Zoom, which turned out to revolutionize the way I worked remotely. And I, I am appreciating Office 365 now in all the ways it allows me to work remotely too. But anyway, all that stuff aside, um, I think it's worth taking a minute to be reflective and say like, wow, this year did bring about a lot of changes and we're not done. Uh, we are going to look back on this time and realize that this was a massive moment of of kind of a, a, a prodded innovation. And uh, I'm looking forward at the moment when I can look back at this time. I, I will see you on the metaverse. Sounds perfect. Well, Okay, I'm going to have to think about that for a bit. I'm going to have to chew on this um, as I finish up my brunch. Uh, and hopefully let's keep following the story of uh, what's happening in, in these, these places that are creating the, the Internet island bubbles that, that uh, might be of the future. Let's, let's see how this actually plays out. So um, with that, I want to thank everybody, as always, for joining us for our weekly brunch uh, we love that you participate. We love that you are a part of our show, that you keep listening, that you keep following, that you keep subscribing. Uh, my advice, as from my very, very wise friend, Matt, to please continue to eat brunch and then change the world. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.
Thanks for listening to the Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week.